In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kulak, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own fan health With me today is the other two parts of the triad of terror, the rock parapsychologist himself, Mr. Cal Cooper. Is that it? Hello. Oops. Is that who's smashing the pans all around over there? No, that's not right. <laughs> okay. And also, uh, Mr. Parascience himself, Steve Parsons. Good evening. Sorry about, the, sorry about the laughter. It was just the thought of Norrie throwing pans at Cal then. No, well, I mean, that happens all the time anyway, so what's the mistake? <laughs> hey, guess what that's I got? So in, professional. Yeah, guess what I got in the mail today? Uh, another K2 meter? Oh, no, 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 no nothing that good. Paranologies, no. one of these bizarre lighty-up plastic boxes that tell you for ghosts in the I'm room. getting one of those, by the way. I have to have I it. You, I thought you might. Yeah, you know, if it lights up, you it know, makes noise. You you've got noise. more money than sense. <laughs> That's true. Um, but when I come I got... over, I'll bring you a photon pump device. Ooh, you really get me excited now. <laughs> yeah, it's made by Maglite. It takes two AA batteries. There you go. You can't beat that. But I have in my very own little mitts is a uh, little booklet, issue one, 2013, the Ghost Club Journal, with a feature article by Mr. Steve Parsons on infrasound and the paranormal. Yeah, it's not a difficult word to say, Ron. Infrasound. Everything is difficult for me to say, Steve. <laughs> well, I tell you, well, you'll have to wait now for three months for part two. Oh, God, no. Well, you can do the crossword and colour in the rest of it, so I'll keep that. Oh, there you go. So I loved that. I did the dot to dot. It turned out to be a bucket and spade. Oh, don't tell me now. I've ruined it on me. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sure there's a different one in every edition. So, anyways, welcome uh, aboard, guys. It's good to have you both with me, and uh, I'm really excited about this show because we have on the show someone who Mr. Parson knows well. I don't. Do you know him, Cal? Um, no, I don't believe I've had the pleasure of meeting him or speaking to him. Okay, so we will turn well, this over. Well, for a treat, then. We will turn this over to our good friend, Mr. Parascience, and would you like to introduce our guest first? I certainly would. Um, this is this is a guy who whose knowledge of the paranormal, I would say, is the legendary. 
verging on legendary. Author, paranormal explorer, and uh, probably the reason he's here is he uh, connected to you, Ron. He's a relic hunter, historian, and he's. It looks like he's been on more television programs than, than I have. Uh, he's he's uh, helped out and worked on Most Haunted, Ghost Hunters International, featured on Discovery Channel, Legend, and. Paranormal blogger. Is that good enough for you, MJ? MJ Wayland. Wow. Really, what do I do from this? <laughs> Build them up, knock them down. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, you know, anybody who can't give their real name and have to use initials is, you know, legendary, evidently. What about TJ <laughs> We don't go there. MJ, welcome to the show, and that was quite the introduction, and you are a paranormal explorer. I see of all the things you mentioned that when I just jumped on. You want to define what a paranormal explorer is? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, from my sort of situation, I've, I've done many, many investigations, um, private, private investigations, investigative witnesses and locations, and... Um, and, and, and I don't see myself as an investigator, as somebody who who kind of uh, sits in a room with equipment anymore. I'd rather research. I, th- I think one thing that's lacking nowadays is people forget that you can be a researcher, a paranormal researcher, and that doesn't mean just sitting at home, at home in your armchair. It means get, getting out there to the libraries and, and trying to find original references. I'm not, so, I'm not sat in the pub. <laughs> somebody's in the pub, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, how did you get involved in... Wow. How did you get involved with this? Uh, is it something that, that you, since you were a little kid, or, or is it something you kind of fell in? You know, give us the, the, the story on this. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um... I mean, it kind of started when I was young, and um, my parents, um, we used to live in like an apartment, and um, and basically I was four or five years old, and um, we always used to see this grey lady type thing, well I used to see this grey lady type thing, wondered what it was, and, um, and I used to ask my parents, but they were sort of scientific and sceptical, and um, they, they kind of said, oh, you know, you shouldn't be seeing ghosts, you know, it's just people with imaginations who see ghosts, you know, overworking imaginations. And that kind of sparked something off and, um, you know, sort of 35 years later I'm still investigating. Well, so that that was it, it was kind of like a challenge from your parents. Being the rebellious youth, if they said it doesn't exist, then of course you've got to Go up and check out and see if it does. Yeah. That's a new typing, or is that? we have ghost typing now too on the show, so that's that's interesting. Uh, but anyway, it, um, yeah, I, MJ, I, I, I don't think it was necessarily rebellion. I think it was na- it was just natural that, um, that I wanted to know more. Um, to know rather than read countless ghost books, I wanted to know what it was. Um, and hence, you know, from then on, I started looking into books, picking up books by Andrew Green, Peter Underwood, and, and, and really trying to work out what I'd seen. My parents just thought it was just um, imagination. I wanted to try and find 
you know, the, the, what was it that I'd, I'd actually witnessed? And, and you've been doing this for quite a while, and is it gone the way you really expected to? It did go, considering you know when you were young and you formulated your own opinions, and at that time, uh, has it changed over the years? In uh, like I said, did it go the way you thought it would go, or, or has it taken you in a different direction? I think, if anything, it's become more frustrating, to be honest. And um, the reasons why is, you know, you, you kind of start, look, you know, you go into the equipment side or you start going into the spiritual side, and, and really there's, you know, there's no easy answers to be found. And and I think it's really hard to, you know, sometimes you find it hard to continue because, you know, you, you, don't, you don't get a definitive answer. And, um, and I, I think also as well is that's the benefit as well of investigating the paranormal as a whole, whether it's UFOs, ghosts, or, or whatever, um, to know you're continually searching, you're continually investigating. And the main thing above all is, to know, you, you've kind of, you've got to be very open-minded, but also as well, you've got to be, you know, quite sceptical skeptical about the claims that people make. Okay. Do you have a uh, scientific background? Not me personally, no. So, uh, do you? But do you consider yourself uh, applying scientific principles to the research that you do and the conclusions that you come up with? From a research point of view, um, as I said before, I don't necessarily um, get involved in investigations anymore. So, mm -hmm. you know, I certainly don't get involved in any experimentation anymore, or you know, kind of, you know, again, the the, the things that Steve does with infrasound and you know. We've done things with ultrasound, and you know we, we've kind of really gone into that side as well. We've made our own uh, infrasound detectors, you know, for works. Um, but I, I'm researching now, and, and basically the direction I've taken is is what I've nicknamed Year One, and myself and a number of other researchers um, we're taking back classic cases um, back to the original sources. Because one thing that really annoys me is um, the countless books that are out there, even by such luminaries like you know Harry Price, Peter Underwood, they're essentially regurgitated tales, um, and and I'm keen to kind of take back classic stories right back to the original sor sources and, and and discover what was seen in year one, and um, and that's essentially you know what, what we're trying to do now. I think that's actually, um, MJ, I think you've highlighted something that I think is very, very important because um, I think you're prob you've probably got way more books than I have, but I, I've noticed the same thing, and um, particularly looking at, since moving here five years ago, looking at uh, fresh eyes at Welsh, Welsh hauntings, um, trying to trace them back to the original, uh, as you say, the year one. And they're just not there. I, one of the things that I notice out here with, with some of the, the buildings that are on the circuit for the, for the ghost investigators and the haunted nights out um, is that the, the haunting really only seems to be in the last 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. If you go back through the histories much beyond that, there are so very few uh, locations where there is, you know, 
that now have this reputation uh, where there is absolutely no mention of it. Uh, I, I totally agree. I, I think the other issue as well is, and, um, and I'll give an example of Barclays Square. Um, I should imagine Steve and, and um, Ron, you'll know of um, the haunting of Barclays Square, which has uh, an electric horror that if you touch the walls, your, arm, your hand will be electrified. And there's many famous stories about sightings and experiences of Berkeley Square um, and we've took that back to year one um, myself and a gentleman called Ian we've researched this we've um, we've researched who was living there it, the whole thing falls to bits Berkeley Square although it is a classic haunting uh, and appears in every ghost book everybody from you know every ghost book of, of London has Berkeley Square and yet the annoying thing is in 1912, a ghost hunter that most people will have never heard of, a lady called Jessie Adelaide Middleton, debunked the whole case and and basically using her basic research that she did at the time, what we've been able to discover is that actually Barclay Square, the reason why it was believed to be haunting was because people misunderstood a story that ran in, uh, in one of the London newspapers. And we've pulled all this together, and it's just amazing that in 1912 it was completely discredited, and yet, 30 years later, Harry Price mentions Barclay Square, Peter Underwood mentions Barclay Square. I mean, I, I very much doubt that any book on London hauntings would not contain the ghosts of Barclay Square, but yet it was completely discredited, ruled out, and essentially, there is nothing to the case. There's nothing concrete in the case. And, and this is what we're finding with a lot of venues. And well, well, I mean, Jay, is, is that just one person's opinion? Or, I mean, here we have, no, no, you know, no, no, as no, you mentioned, not. some notables that, that uh, believe it was haunted in this one book, or this one person comes out and debunks it. I mean, is it like no, no, irreputable no, evidence? or, or Absolutely is it wrong. 100% wrong. And, and what the situation is with Barclay Square is um, a horror writer called Rhoda uh, Broughton, who wrote a lot of ghost stories, wrote a particular story, and it is incredible. It's a fantastic story. And it seems to describe um, a series of, of paranormal activity within a house. It was misunderstood by, the lo by local people, and they believed it was 20 Barclay Square. So every night and this is a book that i'm writing at the moment about um victorian ghost belief at the moment. And, and what started happening was people were meeting outside ghost hunting essentially looking for things to appear at the windows and when it did appear they would throw a barrage of stones and, and threaten <laughs> and and basically what's happened is from that original story from Rhoda broughton um what happens from there is the stories regurgitated and elaborated. Yeah. So what started off as just a ghost story with um, a girl appearing, suddenly the girl is is the daughter of a soldier, and then the soldier's given the name, and then it falls in the hand of somebody I really dislike, and that's Elliot O'Donnell. Elliot yeah. O'Donnell completely elaborates the whole story, and then from then on it takes on legendary status and so it can be tracked back and there are statements of people living in that house at the time saying there's nothing here we've never experienced anything you know or it was used as a summer house at one point 
So, so the facts are, during the time between 1870 and 1880, when these things were meant, meant to be taking place, it simply weren't. It was just the misunderstanding of, an, of a ghost story in the newspaper. And in fact, Jesse Adelaide Middleton wrote to Rhoda Broughton and said, was it based on Barclay Square? And she said, no, it's just a ghost story. And that was it. And, and so, so I'm, I'm keen. One thing I'm keen about with this is that, is that you know, if people believe it's haunted, they believe it's haunted or whatever, but what I'm trying to do is take it back to you and trying to find out the origin of the story to try and find out if people did genuine, genuinely have these experiences. Um, and, and, and I think the fact that Mags Brothers have been there since 1920 and never had any experiences at all uh, in Blackwood Square just kind of sums up the reason why this legendary haunted place isn't haunted. And the legend continues because I have a book that was... Uh, only produced last year in 2012, where which has, I think, any uh, three quarters of a chapter de- uh, dedicated to uh, Barclays, the Barclays were haunting. Um, I mean, another famous case, of mm. course, is the Angels of Mons, mm. uh, which was started as, uh, as a story by Arthur Macken. Exactly. Um, and that's so often repeated, um, and indeed it has grown. Um, people, you know, have come forward saying that they're. they're uh, relatives, their uncle has got a letter, but that was actually current at the time. I mean, that, the the angels of Mons spiral rapidly uh, mm. at the time, but it's still. I mean, again, a book uh, published in two thousand and ten contains a story of the the angels. It, it's frustrating, um, Steve, because yeah. for me, for me, it's it's lazy research, and and and, it, and it's annoying that um, modern day authors are just happy to regurgitate and and that's something that I that's why I say I'm a paranormal researcher because and and this is the the whole thing with year one is we're going through classic stories like Chamber Coon Manor in Devon. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know why that was haunted and, and I'm not taken away by any means. I'm not certain people have experiences there. I'm not there to discredit those particular experiences but what I'm intrigued is is why did Chamber Coon Manor Become haunted as a term. Do you know what? 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 Uh, and why was it known as being haunted? And with Chamber Manor, it's interesting that it was very different purposes why Chamber Manor suddenly become famously haunted, and that was because a train line was built into into Ilfracombe, and straight away the local uh, the locals um, thought, right, we've we've got tourists coming out what can we do and within two years of the train going into Ilfkoon, Chamber Coon Manor um, was advertising itself as the Haunted Manor and it had a secret room uh, in which somebody was boarded up and died so it's, it's, I'm not there to take away people's experiences but what I am there is to try and work out why places are known as being haunted and, and working through the, the, the layers of, of people's experiences and, and back to original references. You see, so you're more of a, I, I would think, a historical paranormal investigator. I think it's yeah. an essential paranormal investigator, Ron, because what MJ's doing is, is, I mean, from my perspective, I go out and I actively put people's claims to the test. Right. But, but what MJ is doing is, is, in my opinion, equally as important and probably more significant in, in some respects because 
there are people, there are groups that are going out on a weekly basis and investigating locations based entirely upon the group that went the week before's experiences almost. Mm. Uh, where I am in Pembrokeshire, we have Pembroke Castle, which has a, grown a reputation within the past five, six years. Uh, and I can actually, I was there on day one uh, and involved in a, an experiment to actually um, review the evidence of the first group that had an experience. And the, their experience was that they heard a voice. It became known as the Pembroke voice. It was a male voice that was picked up on uh, a recorder. Uh, and various interpretations were given. Um, and we went back and we, we looked at what took place and we... We, we did some tests, and it was very, very quickly determined that what we were dealing with was somebody talking over the CB radios that they were using mm. on, the, on, on that particular night. Within six months, the castle had opened its doors to uh, ghost investigation groups for a fee, mm. and within 12 months, there were countless ghosts being reported um, by groups investigating the castle. And these have built and built and built. And the castle now has, I think, at the last count, seven or eight uh, well-documented hauntings. But each of these is built upon the experiences purely of people going to investigate ghosts. Mm -hmm. And we can track it back. There was no reported haunting by anybody associate or links to uh, the castle prior to 2007, 2008, when this first instance took place. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like um, Dudley Castle, um, which is visited probably every Friday and Saturday by paranormal companies and groups um, mm. every week. And um, I wanted to really find out the references um, for Dorothy Beaumont's um, allegedly haunting the place. And um, I, I actually took it back right back to 1854. And the strange thing is, is that Dudley in 18, uh, Dudley Castle in 1854 is haunted by Lady Jane Grey, not Dorothy Beaumont. And Dorothy Beaumont um, only comes into play in the 1960s, the, the name Dorothy Beaumont and, and the whole Civil War story. But yet in the Victorian times, there was actually a sighting of the Grey Lady walking down the steps from Dudley Castle and into... Um, Dudley's main town centre and it scared the local populace so much that for two days they were behind closed doors at night and this fantastic story has been completely lost um, because of activities in the last 10, 10 12 years yeah. of modern day investigators investigating the drummer boy that never existed I talked to um, a gentleman who was um, one of the curators there um, about 20 years ago and he admitted to me that he's made up three or four of the stories that exist now. The the famous lady um, who won a fancy dress competition said, I made it up. You know, it's it completely made up. He did, however, say it is haunted. He, he honestly believed it was haunted, but when he was writing a ghost tour, he needed to throw in a few extra ghosts. Well, I mean, it, it, ghosts are very good for business. And I, I know from my own experience, the number of locations uh, will call you up uh, and ask you, you know, we've got we've got some things happening. Can you come take a look? And then, before you know it, in the case of many of the, the whether it's a hostelry or, or or some public building, they're promoting themselves as a haunted venue, and and you know, I mean it, it's a cash cow. 
And if you've got, I you know the if you've got a roof that's falling down or you've got you know trouble balancing the books, then it's easy money. Um, you know, you can't blame these people for doing it. But as MJ is pointing out, it's very, very poor research being highlighted by the investigators who can't spot these problems and can't mm. spot the existence. It, they're just investigating each other's claims, in effect. You know, they're going back saying, well, you know, the group that was here last week reported this, and, you know, many of the locations now keep a diary to make it even easier for them. You know, go and read what the last group saw. Um, and the whole thing has become fudged and befuddled in this, this mire of recent investigations. And the question I've always asked them, uh, and I've posed it many, many times, we, we've got, an, you know, probably three dozen locations within the UK that, that are key on the circuit. Uh, the Galleries of Justice, Woodchester Mansion, etc., etc. And every single weekend, so 52 weeks a year, nearly, um, there are groups investigating these locations. So you've probably got 20, 30 people every single night. Now, that adds up over the course of a year to thousands of man-hours. Um, and these people have got equipment. They've got recorders, they've got cameras. I won't talk about the other equipment because you know my views on it already. Where is it? Where's the evidence? Where is the chance encounter with the grey lady, the headless horseman? We're just not seeing it. Um, right. And... You know, the, the, I, I'm beginning to, you know, it makes me question because the law of chance, the law of averages, somebody's going to walk around the corner and be confronted by the, by the headless horseman or the grey lady, and it just doesn't happen. We see orbs, we see mist, we get anonymous bleatings on, on e- EVP recordings. I'm ranting, I'll shut up. Well, but Steve, just as devil's advocate, but surely this comes down to methodology and, and how they actually... You know the, the investigators that are researching, sorry, are investigating these locations. Surely it comes down to the methodology that they apply during the investigation. And you know, if these people are you know investigating places, I, I mean, I've been I've been invited to many paranormal investigate investigation groups, and I've gone along with them. And some of the method methodology is just walking around, sitting down, being quiet, and you know. It, you know, it, it's lacking, and, and this is again why I stress that I'm a researcher because I, I feel that research has disappeared from people. Do you know, yeah. I I always used to do a load of research before I even stepped foot out of the door and visited a haunted location. I've always done. I've, I've researched, you know, the geological impacts. I've researched, you know, that just literally gone through every single layer and. And that's missing. And, and I think if people did that, then maybe, you know, when when they go to these locations, then proper methodology would be put in place. And not only that, Steve, but where, where are our final reports going? I, I don't see... Exactly. There are no final reports. That's the problem. No. But anyways, we are coming... To the internet. I've got a question coming... for MJ after the we, break. Yo, I'm going to have to wait because we have to take a break now. And before, I, I, I do have a question for Cal when he gets back on MJ. Is this a, uh, especially a question for him, is that although there was no haunting, can we create a, high, a haunting through our own... Uh, psychic. So, uh, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet, uh, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and Beyond uh, with Cal Cooper, Stephen Parsons, and our special guest, MJ Whalen, and Ron Kolick. And we'll be right back after the following messages right here. Yeah. 
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so we are, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. Listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons, Cal Cooper, Ron Kolick, and our special guest, uh, MJ Whalen, I think. Is that I saying that right? Anyways, right here on Tojinet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and Beyond. So, Cal, are you with us now? Is anybody with us? Well, I'm here. Oh, that's good. So, says anyway. Cal, says Cal's here on Skype. I know. I sent him a message. I actually, uh, you know, that's we, we had talked a little bit off a little bit uh, that, uh, you know, uh, MJ does the research and, and I agree 100 percent what he does. And, and of course, uh, there's so many legends that are have no facts based to him and he sorts that out. But with, you know, uh, you know, P. 
people going in constantly looking for spirits and and creating uh, a ghost is that possible i mean I, I know several experiments i believe the the project in canada was one and you were talking about another one uh, Stephen. Yeah, I think you're referring to the Philip experiment, which was the creation of a, an entity within a seance environment. But there have been a, a number of experiments conducted where people have uh, set out to use environmental factors, uh, generation of electromagnetic fields or low-frequency sound, within a, a controlled environment to see if they could create a haunted experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, I would come back to what you've just, what we were talking about before, with the idea of can you create a haunted, a haunted location? And in actual right. fact, um, in terms of what I was talking about with Pembroke Castle, then definitely yes, because within within uh, the the span of the past six years, well, you've got a building with uh, zero ghosts to a building with seven or eight ghosts. And that's built entirely upon the, uh, the experiences of those going there with the sole intention to, of finding um, and investigating the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, using, as, as MJ pointed out, often uh, very poor methodology right. and very poor understanding of what's really taking place. So, in effect, every, everything they can't explain um, becomes paranormal. They then, uh, we were talking about final reports which don't exist, but a report of sorts often they does don't. get onto, onto the internet. Uh, they're put onto the group's Facebook pages or, or onto the websites, which are read by the following group going along, um, and that's how the reputation builds. Um, it's interesting. Steve, don't Sorry? you think most of, it, most of the reports that are on there are essentially mediumship reports? Or, you know, yeah. I mean, some of the reports that I've read on there. But I think this comes back again to methodology. And also, as well, is, you know, in science, like the Richard III discovery, um, it's got to be peer reviewed, you know, and these reports that go online are essentially a collection of people's experiences or beliefs that they were going to encounter a particular um, being or, or whatever. And um, so, so these reports don't actually have um, any meaning within, you know, paranormal experience, uh, within the paranormal, really, does it? I mean, what, what kind of evidence are they actually Well, it shouldn't, it shouldn't do, should it? But it does, and that's the unfortunate thing, because people, people take, you know, what they want from Facebook. They read... In fact, you know, you see every week um, on Facebook, had a great night at the Skirred Inn or at Woodchester Mansion. And then half a dozen other people will bail in with their comments saying, we had a great week too, the voices were heard, uh, this was... And it becomes an accepted fact, rather like, uh, you know, something Elliot O'Donnell will write in his book. Facebook has become the new way of creating haunted buildings. But you said before the break about... um, and something I, I totally agree with, uh, the need to do the research prior to conducting any field work. Um, I, I, I'm not but, sure that's the right way to well, do it. Well, ASAP, the, over here, our Association for the Scientific mm-hmm. Study of Anomalous Phenomena, actually suggested late last year that, that this historical, in fact, any form of research prior to going to a location um, is actually a very bad thing. And that's they say that's that my, kind of my opinion on research. it. Yeah. So, you know, the, it's, it's, it's something it's, I don't agree with, but... You see, it's a double-edged sword. It depends on what kind of investigation you're doing. If, if you're doing a, 
I mean, the investigations that I've done, do you know, there's either two things. It's firstly, it's very heavily equipment-based. So, essentially, I mean, the majority of the investigations I, I, I've actually undertaken um, are basically me and the team in in a base room while we sat, sit there watching monitors and equipment, you know, charting room temperatures and everything like that. Um, I, I, I mean, to me, I, th I think if I start saying it's, you know, you shouldn't be looking at the history and that sort of thing. Well, surely they're talking about observatory investigations then, where, right. you know, a person is sat in a room quiet. I mean, again, you know, ghost hunting for me, you know, 20 years ago was sat in a room quietly, writing down any observations or feelings. And then, you know, at the end of the night, we would compare notes and see how that, would, you know, compared with any um, equipment. But as the problem is, is people are sat in the room all chatting along and, you know, people know the history and that sort of thing. If they're doing observatory investigations, then, um, then yeah, I can understand where that would fall down, you know, looking at history and, and things like that. Right. I mean, we have a, a thing that's called the famous ghost syndrome. And if you have any paranormal experience and, and someone has died in that location, then, or especially someone famous, then it's automatically uh, assumed that this experience was related to that famous person, where it yeah. could be who knows uh but but because it's it's already believed that this famous person had died there or this person had died in the house then it must be this person yeah i, I mean based on my experience i've never i mean i've investigated many famous places and places where people have died including battlefields and you know most of the time you know you kind of walk away and you know you've got you know you might have had a weird experience or whatever but nothing tangible that you could ever put into a proper paper that you'd send off to me. But it, and, and this is, again, what I was saying before. You said, how have I, you know, how do I feel after this amount of investigation? It is frustrating. Um, but, you know, you kind of keep on plowing on and, and hopefully teaching others. I think as I've got older, I've kind of become a bit more grumpy about things. And, you know, I want to help other people. <laughs> you know, I want to help people research and I want to help people, you know, at least pull something together when they do an investigation. You know, there should be something. You know, there should be something physical or you know a report or something, a detailed report on what they did, how they did it, and how it ran. Not just um, Steve in room six for saw shadow in you know Steve in room two for. Stop picking on me. Yeah. Well, your, your name's in the middle, but um, <laughs> but. <laughs> So, so it's that kind of thing, you know, it needs to be far more detailed. And any group worth its salt really should be taking the time on pre- and post-investigation. And, and that's the thing, it's all centred on the investigation itself. And even then, they're not actually doing the proper, correct methodology, but not even doing that correctly. So they're not able to produce a report that can be peer-reviewed or even... You know, you know, looked at with a bit of respect, and of course, not spending the proper amount of time there as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and why one-off investigations? I, I mean, a lot of you know, when people say, "Oh, have you done private investigations and things?" Often, private investigations would be, you know, ten months at a time, if not longer, and and then when you start getting into the um, sociological aspect and witness dependency and that sort of 
um, aspect to an investigation, which many, many people never have an experience of. I'd be interested to know if any of these paranormal investigation groups have had a 10-month investigation or, or a very long investigation working with a family and seeing how you know they act to alleged paranormal activity and things. I've got to say, I've got to say, MJ, that the you know the thing that fills me most with horror uh, these days is the thought of some of these paranormal groups actually getting into somebody's house um, and and interacting with a family. I've I've seen it firsthand. Um, I've actually worked on on follow up cases um, where the substantial psychological damage has been done to to the homeowner or or, or the client uh, by the simple actions of the ghost hunters. Um, the, you know, this, is, uh, this is what frustrates me about Ask It's scary. ASAP and Ghost Club should be more proactive in getting people signed on board for proper interview techniques and properly understanding the needs of a witness and mm. understanding the witness. And that is lacking again. You know, it's, you know, it's so easy to think, oh, like this, how, you know. I'm sure most people have read Guideline Playfair's This House is Haunted and go in thinking, wow, we've got our own version, you know. <laughs> and rather than that, it comes back to the research, it comes back to proper training and, and things like what ASAP do is incredibly good. I just don't think ASAP are incredibly proactive. Um, and that's what frustrates me about uh, ASAP. They should be more proactive, not only not only in the media, but also they should be more proactive with the groups that are there. I, I know ASAP, in fairness to them, I, um, they do have uh, an ongoing plan to develop uh, um, this this uh, idea of some form of of you could call it regulation of paranormal investigation um, within the UK at least I have grave reservations about some of the aspects of that because in the past I I, I really failed to see how you can regulate these paranormal groups Um, Mm -hmm. I think the only way forward from my perspective is to educate the public as to what constitutes a good uh, investigation and what to look for when they're seeking assistance Um, I, I think you know that's the way forward. It's a, it's a case of who are you going to call and who are you going to go let into your house. Um, but we've got a question as well in the chat room from Ghost Girl who wants to know what MJ thinks about mediums. Um, I've worked with many mediums, and you know, I've taken. I've got a lot of friends who are mediums, and um, you know, I respect their views. And, some some things that they they've said when I've taken them out to places or whatever, it's been absolutely incredible. I mean, we took one uh, particular meeting who, who was a friend of mine, and um, and, he, and I call him a sceptical meeting. He doesn't believe in orbs. He doesn't believe in things like this. But he knows that he's having these experiences. And we took him to a field, and we asked him. Um, um, he was there with the archaeologist as well who was working in that field and we asked him, we asked the medium what are you picking up? And he walked to one particular corner of the field and said I can see what looks like a cart I can see what looks like boxes or something and then there seems to be like an explosion I, I mean we photographed the site and there was no way on earth that he would have any inclination at all that you know that kind of 
thing that had happened there. And um, we were actually um, in Somerset. And, um, and uh, the archaeologist said, well, do you know, this is what we're investigating in this field. And, and they actually found, literally within the area of where he said, they actually found remnants of explosives and car and, and what looked like bosses from a cartwheel and things like that. It confirmed everything what the medium said. And, and I was kind of quite blown away by that. And so the, the, the problem is, is again, is, you know, it's a whole different ball game when you're working with the medium and, and it's, you know, it depends on what you believe as well. Um, as I said before, I kind of concentrate on my research now and you know, mediums are out there. It's up to you. It's up to the investigator whether they want to believe them or not. Um, I, I always feel that, you know, certainly with my research, you know, I don't put too much emphasis on my own beliefs in, in, in the research um, because I want people to make their own mind up. And that's the same with mediums. If people work with mediums and they believe them and things, then that's fine. Um, my own inclination is I, I think they can have a role to play. Um, but Essentially, I, um, I like more emphasis on research and investigation. Right. Is uh, Cal with us now? Nope, still lost him. Okay. Uh, you've worked on several shows according to your bio. I mean, how does that differ than just doing your normal research, or does it? Um, well, basically, the TV stuff's just a pain in the ass, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, the only good, I, I mean, this is a, a really good example. Really. I mean, I, I'd say from sort of the mid '90s, you know, it, you know, I've appeared on, on certain things like you know, Kilroy Show and things like that, and um, and then at, at the late late '90s, things got a little bit more serious, where I was getting involved in providing locations for venues and things like that. Um, and uh, recently, I've worked on. Um, the Quiet Ones movie, which is coming out, and that's actually based on the Philip experiment. And um, I mean, I've been lucky to read the script. I know what's happened, and my consultation on that film was to try and give the prop designers the best insight into what 1970s panel investigators were using at the time. Um, I'm hoping that the film captures that a little bit, or Steve <laughs> might be after me, but. Um, <laughs> I know to blame then. They, they, they kind of said to me, um, yeah, with the, it, well, it's a professor and, and he's got this paranormal equipment and that sort of thing. And I said, he wouldn't be able to afford it. You know, it's kind of, yeah, well, well he might have had this and that. And, and I can't give away what they're, they're going to be using. But we had to kind of come up with an idea of how they could self-make things. And, and I kind of pushed that a little bit within the scripts that, you know, in, in the 70s, m most of my friends that had equipment and, and things that I had, you know, were self-made or... I, I think when I first... My first ever EMF meter that I ever bought, because I felt it was essential at the time, um, I, you know, was made in Jersey by some guy who lived in, in, you know, in a small village in Jersey, and he made these little EMF detectives, you know, and, and I tried to get that over in the film, but... I mean, essentially what I've done over the years is provide locations, um, um, provided cases, things like Screen Team. Um, we have provided a number of cases for that particular series. I was there actually um, during the casting and, and um, so people saw people like Phil Wyman and, and things like that who went on from there. Um, 
Um, so yeah, it's kind of you get a little insight into uh, into these shows. Okay, I think we have another question in the chat room, don't we, uh, Steve? Yeah, we have one actually um, from T. Jones. Uh, for the new budding investigator, what advice would MJ have for the best way to conduct research before undertaking an investigation? That's a good question. It is. It's a very good question. I, I think. I think for me, from my um, from my perspective, is um, if you're aware of a particular location that you're going to then I think you need to get into the local studies library and you need to know everything about that location. So that's from a geological perspective as much as anything. Um, you need to understand if there are fault lines, you need to understand if there's running water, you need to understand exactly what that site is about. Um, and the local studies section of any library is, you know, is a godsend for anybody. Um, obviously the internet is great, but Wikipedia is is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> um, so it's on Wikipedia. Any, it must be true. Yeah. Oh God, no. Um, so to me, to me, any investigation starts with a visit to the local studies. Get the maps out. You know, get get into the history. Find out all about the history. What was there before? You know, anything at all. I investigated a case in Derby, uh, the Barley Moe pub, and um, they kept. The, the new landlord took over and things were falling off uh, the shelves and things like that and I realised as I went through the maps and, and went through that the actually a train line was running less than 250 yards away and oh, we timed we, yeah I mean we, and it was underground so we actually timed when these activities were happening and, and it tied in perfectly with when the trains were coming through do you know and it's Simple things like that, you know, it's, it's worth doing. Um, and um, so, yeah, local studies. Get straight into the local studies and local archive and, and find out about the place. So let me ask you this. Uh, would it be better, and, and, and this goes to what we were talking about before, whether you do research before or after, but would you, if if someone investigated a place and came up with certain things, would you then do reverse and try to find out uh, specific reasons for those things happening? I, I think then you've got to be careful of, of, of you subconsciously trying to find things to fix. That, that, that's the only problem there. With so so it's, it's kind of the reverse of the ghost thing where people are trying to make the ghost fit the whatever circumstances and this is kind of like we're trying to find the natural causes for whatever the the uh, uh, phenomena was absolutely absolutely and, and, and again it comes down to the objective of yourself or the team you know, mm -hmm. if, if, if your team is you know technically based and I'd never say scientific because I don't think any group can be a scientific group because um, they again they're simply not but um, I think uh, an equipment based group they need to research before if, if people are trying to push their own psychic experiences and mediumship then 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 they can't do the research before they can 
I think it's it's perfectly possible for a competent group to deal with, uh, coming back at Ron here, to deal with the fact that you may have to uh, back research while you're progressing forward with the with the mm. investigation. Um, you can put into into place protocols that can deal with those. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we need worry about them tonight. But a, a, a competent yeah. group can deal with those. Uh, Necessities. Um, I, I know it. I know I, myself. I've also got to come back at MJ. This no group can be scientific because. Well, before you go <laughs> off, you, you, you threw it out. Don't don't go off on that yet. You can go back no, to that. But no. I, I be, think, Steve, Steve uh, I think it comes back to the methodology again. It is. You know, it is. And the science and, in parascience is entirely down to the scientific methods. Exactly, uh, and, and and the amount of groups who. You know, I come across and oh, they contact me or whatever, and they say we're a scientific paranormal group, and I'll say, well, I've seen your, I've seen your research notes, and you're far from it. And <laughs> if anybody, if anybody in the UK is as close to science as, as God damn it, is, is, is yourself and what you've done at Parasites. I had that recently with um, a research group that were claiming to be scientific, and the whole basis was based of. of methodology and investigation was based on belief and faith and i said belief and faith is a matter for theology it's not for science and mm-hmm. i said you you've got to practice on observation and documentation and then repeatability and how many things kind of follow that pattern if you want belief and faith you know anything can happen really because you're putting your mind to it and i just thought it was crazy that they thought that was the scientific method but i, I couldn't change their mind it didn't matter how many different ways i explained it um, so, you know, as Steve said earlier, there should be these things available where you can educate the public, but ultimately there will only be certain few members that will actually want to be educated. The rest will want to follow what they believe, what they want to do, and they'll carry on doing what they do thinking they're being scientific. I think it comes back to ASAP being more proactive or, or, or a group like ASAP, and, and, and they need to be producing leaflets for either the general public, as Steve said, you know, what to look out for in an investigation, in an investigator, or what should happen during an investigation, and and it's about providing more outreach programs as well to the general public and also to groups, you know, to to because they simply do not understand the term scientific. That 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 is half the problem, and then people do call themselves scientific researchers and things like that. And and, and again, as you've said, you know, they, they, they simply well. Don't. Only, only this week I was looking at a group's website and listed amongst their scientific equipment alongside the K2 meters oh, is, yeah. a set of dous- is a set of dousing rods and the medium. <laughs> I do, they the, do they take the medium out of the case when they get to the investigation then? It's all packed away neatly. I always call Maureen a tool in my toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> We've got one question sitting in the chat room. I don't think we're going to have time to deal with it effectively, but uh, it's again from T. Jones. In terms of using equipment, should the investigator be looking just to get an idea of what is happening within the environment rather than using it to prove a haunting? Well, uh, we've got about two or three minutes, but uh, absolutely, because the equipment can't measure ghosts. It can only measure what's happening within the environment. Um, So it's there to... Unless you have my equipment, of course. Well, unless you've got the <laughs> equipment that Ron uses. Yes, but yes. the equipment can only measure uh, the real world. It can only measure temperature, humidity, pressure, electromagnetic fields, sound. It can't measure ghosts. 
There is no piece of equipment in Ron Kolek's toolbox that can measure ghosts. Oh, I beg to differ, young man. Sorry, MJ? I said, how many times have you actually said that to people? Uh, oh, thousands. To me, a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> you can't measure ghosts. They don't exist. Uh, Steve, what was that? Exist. What was the pamphlet? Because obviously MJ made a good point about a pamphlet going out that outlines things for people. So the SPR for ages had the notes for the investigators of spontaneous cases. Wasn't there something that was bizarre in one of the um, new editions of it, though, where it's something about putting a bag over the medium's head? There was a strange line in the, in the notes to investigators, but, um, hang on a minute, can I find it in the next two minutes? <laughs> yes, notes for investigators, mind. I've got mine. Notes oh, for investigators, a spontaneous case. How about, we see I sit next to my bookshelves. Um, mine are in Nottingham. <laughs> study of relevant literature, procedure to be followed in cases of we're going to run out of time. Investigation of all classes of, of case, investigation of hauntings. Of po- I can't remember it, Cal. I can't remember the one that we it, found. It, this, it was so. something along the lines of putting a bag over the medium to stop them doing something. It was just bizarre to listen to. But they've had that available for ages for investigators, but it hasn't got very far. It's not certainly something that every research group's got a copy of. Uh, I'm not surprised. It's so far out of date nowadays. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to find it, um, unfortunately. But there was, mm. there was, as Cal alludes to, a. But listen to this. Right at the prominently, a full report on the case should always be filled in and sent to the client and also to the SPR. Mm. Uh, a case report which is not which is not completed, is a waste of a case. There you go. There you yeah. go. Anyways, that's the music. I run out of time. But one thing I did want to mention, you talk about putting a bag over a medium set, of course. John Hammond, who is, uh, holds the second number of uh, patents to Edison, used to put the medium in a Faraday cage. So there you go. So anyways, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons, Cal Cooper, and a very special guest, MJ Whelan. I am Ron Collett. Till next week, good night and God bless, everyone. Good night. Thanks, MJ. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good lord.